At the Canaan Church, our mission is bringing people to Christ and helping every person to become a mature disciple in Christ. Canaan Christian Church, where people dare to dream. Would you join with me in prayer as we prepare to receive the word of God? Father God, we thank you for the blood, that the blood still has power. Thank you for loving us so deeply, so dearly in Jesus Christ. Now God, as we prepare to receive your word, prepare our hearts and our minds and our spirits because we want to receive everything you're about to deposit into us. Save my brother, save my sister. The person who is saved, God, draw them closer to you. We didn't come to be entertained. We came to have an encounter with you. And I want to thank you, God. I'm not going to leave this place the same way I came. So I'm giving you glory and honor and praise because you're God by yourself. Let fresh anointing remain upon our lives. And then God asks as always that you'll let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Come on, let's give God a strong hand clap of praise. Again, I greet everyone with the joy of the Lord. And then to those persons who are sharing with us today through our virtual and online worship experience, again, I greet you with the joy of the Lord. Those of you who live in Louisville, Kentucky, the surrounding area, our virtual members and covenant partners across the United States of America, and all of the persons who are sharing with us today uh, in this worship experience around the country and the world. Thank you again for joining with us for this time of worship and celebration. I pray God's choice blessings upon your life. I want you to look with me in Galatians chapter 6 verse 14. Today is Palm Sunday and I'm thinking about the cross. Galatians chapter 6 verse 14. The word of God reads like this. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Might I read it one more time? But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I want to teach for just a minute on the idea, I glory in the cross. I glory in the cross. As I teach the word of God today, is there anyone in the sanctuary today who loves God with all of their heart, mind, soul, 
and strength. Is there, is there any person in the worship experience today who could say that God is the supreme love of my life? Perhaps you can join in with thousands of Christians all over the world who would testify without apology, Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. What is it about God that captivates you so much? And what is it that God has done for you in Christ? What is it about Jesus that makes you want to give him <coughs> glory and honor and praise? Is it not the fact that one Friday on the hill called Calvary, that Jesus Christ died on a cross for the redemption of our sins. Is it not the fact that on that cross at Calvary, that Jesus Christ laid down his life, that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly? Is it not the fact that God did something for us in Christ, that we could not do for ourselves and that our salvation was secured on that cross. Every year, year after year, on one Sunday after another Sunday, it is not unusual that we could hear someone speak to us about the story of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And as familiar as that story might be, we ought not ever become so familiar with it that we lose our sensitivity to the significance and the spiritual ramifications of that story. Is it not the hymn writer who said, On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. I will cherish the old cross. Yes, I will. I will cherish the old cross until my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it one day for a crown. When we consider the meaning of the cross, there is a sense in which God makes clear a divine necessity of the cross. That is to say that God makes it clear that Jesus had to be crucified on a cross. And if Jesus had to be crucified, if there was no other way, then surely we must recognize that Jesus Christ is the only way for humanity to be redeemed. 
For Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. God makes it clear to us that there is a divine necessity of the cross. That Jesus Christ had to be crucified on a cross at Calvary. There was no other provision. There was no other way possible for a lost world to be recovered in her relationship with God. When we think about the divine necessity of the cross, there is a verse of scripture, one verse, perhaps the most familiar verse in all of Holy Scripture. It's the verse that you can quote. It is the verse that some have said that there's enough gospel in this one verse, that if there were no other scriptures in the Bible, there's enough gospel in this one verse to save the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe on him should not perish but have everlasting life. There is a word in that one verse that seizes our spirits and captures our imagination. It, it captures our hearts. One word in that verse. Let me read it again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let me slow it down. Perhaps you'll catch that word. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish should not perish should not perish but have everlasting life and the one word in that verse that takes us prison that seizes our undivided attention is the word perish because the word perish there is not talking about just a physical death but it's talking about a spiritual death where one will be eternally separated from God. That you might not perish, that you might not be eternally, always and forever separated from your creator. And it is in Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus that Paul also brings that idea to our attention. When you look at Paul's letter rather to the church in Philippians, when you look at Philippians chapter 2 and uh, verse 8, or rather, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, and you look at verse 12, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12, Paul says that at that time you were without Christ, 
being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Paul says everybody who was not of the nation of Israel, you were not Jewish. You and I are Gentiles. We were outside of the covenant. And Paul says we were without hope and without God. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Make no mistake about it, beloved. God in Christ has done something for you and I that we could not do for ourselves. We could not save ourselves. We could not reconcile ourselves. We could not restore ourselves. We could not redeem ourselves. And that's why we ought to thank God for the blood and thank God for our Christ who laid down his life that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. But then I want you to also recognize the fact that when we talk about the necessity of the cross, the divine necessity of the cross, there's a sense in which God did what he did because he wanted to cover his own name. It is in the book of Ezekiel that that strange and mystic prophet Ezekiel gives us a prophetic word about how God covers his name and he's going to restore people who had turned their backs on him. You remember how Israel, the covenant people of God, had disappointed God. They had let God down by going to give worship to false gods like the false gods of Baal and Ashtoreth. And because they gave worship to these false gods, then God allowed the Babylonian empire under the leadership of Nebuchadnezzar to come in, destroy the holy city of Jerusalem and take his people into captivity into a strange land in the land of the Chaldeans and God did it because he says I'm going to have to chastise the people that I called so that the world would know that I'm a holy God and that I am the true and living God and here Israel is in the land of the Chaldeans. They are in a strange land. But what you ought to thank God for is that even when he has to chastise us, God will not give up on those that belong to him. So God, God through the prophet Ezekiel says this in chapter 36 verse 22. He says, therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God. I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. In other words, God says, Ezekiel, tell Israel, I'm going to get them out of captivity but I'm not going to do it primarily because of them I'm going to do it first and foremost because I'm going to protect my holy name 
And then God says to Ezekiel, says, tell, tell the children of Israel, he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. God says to, to the prophet Ezekiel, tell Israel that I'm going to perform heart surgery, that I'm going to take out that stony heart and I'm going to give them a new heart that's going to be received receptive to my spirit. Aren't you glad God knows how to perform surgery? And he's going to do it for his name's sake. Listen to David in the 23rd Psalm. He restoreth my soul and he leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. You see, beloved, there's been a whole lot of times in my life and in your life when we have disobeyed God, when we have failed God, when we have let God down. There have been times in our lives when we have found ourselves in precarious situations. We found ourselves in a mess and God turned it around and God fixed it and God got you out of it. God covered you so that everybody else didn't know about your mess. Everybody else didn't know about your blunder. God was not primarily protected in your name God was protecting his name because God says you've been telling people that you belong to me you've been telling people that you are a Christian and yet as you go to church and yet as you carry my name you have done some things that I told you not to do you've left some things undone that I did tell you to do and now because the demonic seemingly has called you to drift away and has called you to fall and has called you to find yourself in a bad way if I did not cover you yes you'd be in embarrassed if I did not cover you yes you'd have a whole lot of explaining to do but God says I'm going to cover you I'm going to become a refuge for you not simply and solely for you not to be embarrassed but I'm going to do it because I don't want what you do to mess up the kingdom and to mess up my name somebody needs to know that I am the true and the living God somebody needs to know I'm a holy God and somebody needs to know that I am real somebody ought to thank God today for having covered you in the midst of your mess just tap somebody and say he's all in my life right now in the cross and in Christ God has provided for us everything we need for every challenge that we'll ever be confronted with in life. And when we, when we talk about the divine necessity of the cross, that we can't get around the cross, next Sunday we'll celebrate the resurrection, but we can't skip Good Friday. We gotta stop at Calvary. Because it was a divine necessity. Because when we talk about the work of redemption, the work of redemption of saving mankind 
was a work that was initiated completely and totally by God. The work of redemption from start to finish was God's initiative. God took the step. God is the one who came after us. It is not that we went seeking God, but God came seeking us. That's, that's the revelation of the Bible. The Bible never speaks of a lost humanity running after God. It's God who won't give up on what he made. He's a strange kind of lover because he loves those who turn their backs on him. God takes the initiative and he does it through his son, Jesus Christ. And then it is the Holy Spirit that then explains to us by the word of God what God has done for us. And it is the Holy Spirit that seals the reality of what God has done for us in our hearts. Think about when you got saved. There was the conviction that took place in your heart because the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God and you heard the gospel and you heard someone tell you that Jesus Christ died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins and then the spirit of the living God then brings about a conviction that I have sinned and turned my back on God but the same Holy Spirit begins to convince me that if I will put my hope in Christ that God is willing to forgive me and give me a new start in life and then not only does the Holy Spirit convict me not only does he convince me that God can change my life in Christ but then he changes my heart he takes out the stony heart and gives me a new heart and then brings me into a right relationship with God so God as father God as son and God as Holy Spirit is involved in the redemptive process and it is God from start to finish who's the one that has made it possible that I can be a child of God. God took the initiative. Come on, tell somebody I'm grateful to God for coming after me. I'm grateful for God to come after me. I was lost. I wasn't running after God, but God came after me. I was dulled down. I was a dirty shame, but God came running after me. I didn't have anything to offer God, but God came running after me. And when you read in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53, that speaks to us about the suffering servant. You cannot read Isaiah 53 if you know God and it not move you in your spirit. Isaiah 53 verse 1 says, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He's talking about Jesus, the suffering servant. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted, but... 
he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed and you go down to verse 10 Isaiah says yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him he has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin he shall see his seed he shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him Jesus had done no wrong but it pleased the Lord to bruise him there was no fault and failure in our Christ but it pleased the Lord to bruise him it was you and I who had failed but it pleased the Lord to bruise Jesus it was you and I who had turned away from God but it pleased the Lord to bruise Jesus it was you and I who tried to live and act as though we were the captains of our own soul and had the last word on destiny but it pleased the Lord to bruise him then Paul writing to the church at Corinth he says to them he says but God made him who knew no sin to become sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ think about that child of God that God made Jesus who knew no sin to become sin that you and I might become the righteousness of God. Tell somebody, he took my place. That's what Jesus did. He took my place. I'm talking about the necessity of the cross. You can't get around this cross because our God is the sovereign God. And in his sovereignty, he's a God of love. He's a God of mercy. He's a God who's kind. He's a God who's gracious. Are you listening to me? Our God, the sovereign God, he's a loving God. He's a kind God. He's a merciful God. He's a gracious God. But in his sovereignty, he's also a holy God. He is a righteous God and he is a just God. And because he's holy and he's just and he's righteous, God loves the sinner, but he hates sin. I said God loves the sinner but he hates sin and although he's loving he's kind he's merciful and he's gracious because he is holy because he's righteous and because he's just he cannot look at my sins and then turn and act like he didn't see what he saw God says I gotta deal with this issue of sin I've gotta do something in order to redeem a lost world but in 
in order for a lost world to be redeemed, then a price is going to have to be paid. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. God says there's going to have to be an atonement. There's going to have to be a sacrifice. There's going to have to be some blood shed because God says my holiness is going to have to be satisfied. My righteousness is going to have to be satisfied. My justice is going to be have to be satisfied. And the question then, if there's going to be a sacrifice, if blood has to be shed, then who's worthy to go on a cross? Who's worthy to pay the price? God looks at this situation and God says, no, Noah can't do it. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they can't do it. Moses can't do it. Joshua can't do it. Uh, the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and uh, Ezekiel cannot do it. Uh, the minor prophets, they cannot do it. God says there is nobody able to stand in the gap and pay the price that's going to have to be paid in order to satisfy my holiness. But thanks be unto God. The Bible says that there was a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And Jesus Christ then comes into the world for no other purpose than to bless you and I. Jesus Christ came into the world for no other purpose than to make there be a provision available where you and I can be forgiven of our sins. So what took place on a cross at Calvary? At Calvary, let me tell you what took place. What took place was God satisfied God. That's what happened at Calvary because Jesus Christ, he was God manifested in the flesh. It was Jesus Christ, God, the second person of the Godhead who comes into the world to die on a cross for the redemption of mankind. God says, I'm going to save the world by doing for them what they cannot do for themselves. I'm going to save the world because God says, I'm going to satisfy myself. Jesus is on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And there are people who question the divinity of Jesus because he said, they're saying, how can he be calling on God if he's God himself? Explain that, Pastor, I cannot. That's why God is God. I don't have to explain God. I believe God. God gave the very best that he had so that I could become a child of God. And what happened at Calvary is God through Christ is satisfying God. God through Christ is paying the price. God through Christ, through Christ is the one who settles the old account. God through Christ is the one who makes it possible that we are and I can have a new lease on life. And so then the question becomes what is the meaning of the cross to the church? And the answer to what is the meaning of the cross to the church is given to us in our text in, in Galatians 6 and, and 14 when Paul says but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to 
me and I to the world. There are three commands that the New Testament gives us about the cross. Let me give it to you quickly and I'll be finished. The New Testament says to you and I that we must carry the cross. Jesus said, if any man would be my disciple, let him first deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. It was Jesus who would carry his own cross. It was Jesus who would be crucified on a cross. And when Jesus told the disciples, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer many things from the chief priests, the Pharisees, and the scribes. I'll be crucified on a cross, but I'll get up Sunday morning. The Bible says that Peter grabbed Jesus and shook him as to say, let me shake some sense into you. We know they don't like you in Jerusalem. Just don't go there, Jesus, and everything will be all right. But Jesus says, not only am I going to Jerusalem, and not only must I take up my cross, but if you're going to be my disciple, you must first deny yourself and then take up your cross and follow me. To him, writer said, must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? No, there's a cross for everyone and there's a cross for me. What does it require? First of all, I got to deny myself. There's going to have to be a revolution in my life. God's got to become the head of my life. The agenda's got to change because now I'm going to say to God, not my will, but God, your will be done. Everything in my life's going to take a second position because God and the kingdom will take a first position in my life. And then once I deny myself, I got to take up my cross. I'm wearing a cross today, but that ain't the cross Jesus is talking about. He says, no, the cross that you bear has to do with choices that you make. Choices that means something's going to cost you. It's going to cost you your time. It's going to cost you talents. It's going to cost you treasures. It's a choice that you make. You could choose not to do it, but you choose to do it. You choose to make a sacrifice. You choose to struggle. You choose to suffer because you want to help usher the kingdom of God into the world. But then secondly, not only are we called to carry the cross, but we are called to boast in the cross. That's why Paul says, if I'm going to brag, I'm only going to brag about what God has done for me in Christ. If I asked you today, what is it that you have going for yourself? You might turn to certain accolades and talk about where you went to college. Talk about your master's degree. Talk about your earned doctrine. You may talk about the job where you work at and how you received a raise or you may talk about other accolades how much money that you make you may talk about the groups that you belong to what fraternity or what sorority you belong to or what social club you are a part of or that you live in a gated community you may talk about what you drive where you wear and what you live but brothers and sisters that ain't what you need to be bragging about that is not your greatest blessing 
blessings in your life because everything I just described got marked on it temporary. Either you're going to get away from it or it's going to get away from you. But the greatest blessing you have in your life is your personal salvation. Jesus put it like this. He says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and then lose his soul? Uh, there are people who got millions of dollars right now, but they ain't got no joy. They don't have any peace. They don't have any security. But then there are some people who live in just a three or four room house and, and they ride a bus to and fro. But if you look at them, they'll tell you this joy that I have. The world didn't give it to me and the world didn't take it away. You ought to start bragging about Jesus. You ought to tell somebody, I'm not a self-made man. I'm not a self-made woman. No, I am who I am by the grace of God. Am I talking to anybody that knows that if it hadn't been God in your life that you wouldn't be where you are and you wouldn't have what you got? Let me tell you something real deep this morning. If you ever find a turtle sitting on a fence, just know somebody put him there because turtles don't climb fences and you are just like a turtle you are not where you are because you had the capacity or because you had the wherewithal or you had the capability or the smarts to get you where you are no you where you are because God put you there and you ought to be quick to brag on God and tell people the Lord has been my helper the Lord has been my way maker but then the there's a third responsibility that the New Testament tells us about this cross. Not only should we carry the cross, and not only should we brag about the cross, but then the New Testament says we need to preach the cross. Paul writing again to the church at Corinth. He says the preaching of the cross is to some people foolishness. He says but to those of us who are saved it is the power of God unto salvation. And so God says you and I ought to preach the cross. Oh not just pass them along preaching on Sunday but every believer you ought to go and preach the cross. Look at somebody say Reverend, go do it. Yeah, go on and preach the cross. When you witness, what do you talk about? You talk about the charisma. When you witness to somebody, tell them about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When I witness, I'm not talking about Allah. When I witness, I'm not talking about Muhammad. When I witness, I'm not talking about Buddha. When I witness, I'm not talking about Zoroaster. I'm not talking about New Age religion. Religion. I'm not talking about Scientology. I'm not talking about Plato or Aristotle. But when I witness, I'm talking about Jesus, Mary's baby. I'm talking about Jesus, God's only son. And I'm telling people what God has done for us in Christ. That he gave his only begotten son to die on a cross. And that's your privilege and that's your opportunity. 
it is every day every week all year long you ought to be looking for an opportunity you ought to be looking for an occasion where you can talk to somebody about Jesus come on Jesus is too good to keep him to yourself come on look at somebody tell him you ought to talk about him because he's done too much for you for you to be quiet on him for you to sit down on him well how shall I wrap this lesson up if you don't mind I think I ought to go old school on you now I think I ought to tell you about what happened on that Friday I think I ought to go to Calvary for just a little while anybody want to go to Calvary with me today one Friday Jesus Christ he had left the upper room he had already had the last supper with the boys and then went out under the silhouette of a Passover moon went down in a garden called Gethsemane and then Judas brought soldiers because he knew where Jesus praying ground was and there in that garden Jesus prayed until sweat like drops of blood fell from his brow. Can't you hear him praying and saying, Father, is there another way I can do this except by the cross? But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. The soldiers came. They arrested him in that God. They took him through a trumped up market trial and there in that mock trial they slapped him in the face they spit in his face they took a whip and gave him 39 lashes on his back the whip had bone and metal in it and it literally pulled flesh and bones off his body the average person died from the whipping and then they took a crown of thorns and pressed it on his brow until blood started running down his face. Come on, take a good look at him. He's got blood running down his face. He's got blood running down his back. He's got blood running down his chest. He's a bloody Jesus. And then they took a purple robe and put it around his soldiers. And then they made fun of him as the king of the Jews and then when they got through making fun of him they put a cross on his shoulder and started marching him up the Ville Del Rosa he's falling down and getting up because he's lost so much blood Isaiah had already prophesied and said he looked so awful that you wouldn't want to behold his face and then women on the side of the road they started weeping and crying but look at Jesus he turns to those women and says don't weep for me but weep for Jerusalem and then they got Simon of Serene a black man to help him carry his cross and then up there on Calvary's hill the place of a skull they put 
put nails in his hands. They riveted his feet and there they crucified Jesus on an old rugged cross on a hill called Calvary. Between two thieves, Jesus was not crucified in a cathedral between two candles, but he was crucified on a cross between two thieves. And out there on Calvary's hill, he died that so you and I might live. I said he died that so you and I might be redeemed. I said he died that so we might be saved. How did he die? He died until the sun refused to shine. He died until the moon dripped away like drops of blood. He died until stars fell like leaves from a fig tree. He died until the earth had a cosmic fit and vomited up her dead. He died until the veil in the temple was ripped from top to bottom and mercy started flowing like an everlasting stream. He died until a soldier couldn't take anymore and said, surely this must have been the Son of God. He died until there was a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood lose all their guilty stain that dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day but there may I the vile as he wash all my sins away I tell you he died he didn't pass out he died he didn't faint he died and while he was dying he spoke from the cross and I heard him say father it is finished he never said I'm finished but it is finished the whole account is settled it is finished redemption has been taken care of it is finished the whole account has been settled it is finished sin can be eradicated it is finished and then he said father into thy hands I commit my spirit dropped his head in the locks of his shoulder and then gave up the ghost but the story it don't end right there Friday we gonna have good Friday but we ain't gonna stop Friday he was buried in another man's tomb Jesus said to Nicodemus I need to borrow your tomb you and Joseph of Arimathea I need to borrow your tomb but I won't need it long just let me burn for about three days he was buried in another man's tomb stays there Friday night stays there Saturday morning stays there late Saturday night can I say it like the old preacher said it can I say it like the old preacher said it can I say it 
like the old preacher said it early, early, early Sunday morning he got up from the grave and said all power is in my hands Sunday morning he says there's a highway to heaven Sunday morning he said paradise is prepared and now he's got a name that's above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess child of God I'm glad I'm saved. I'm glad I've been redeemed. I'm glad the Lord has laid his hands on me. Have I got anybody here who knows my Jesus? Have I got anybody here who loves the Lord? And you may want to ask me, where did I meet him? At the cross, at the cross. Where I first saw the light and the burdens of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight. And now, right now, now, right now, I am happy all the day. Yes. Yes, yes, hallelujah, yes. Ain't he all right? Ain't he all right? Ain't he all right? Ain't the Lord all right? Say yes, say yes, say yes. He's all right. If I'm going to brag, if I'm going to boast, I'm going to brag, and I'm going to boast about that cross, because what God did for me on that cross is what has made the difference in my life. I am who I am by the grace of God, and all I ever hope to be is in him where would I be if God had not loved me in Christ oh I love Jesus because he first loved me Father God seal this word now seal it in our hearts you declared can't get around that cross my son had to die in order for the world to live. Thank you, God. He became my substitute. Thank you, God. He took my place and did for me what I could not do for myself. Now, God, I pray that the person who needs you will come quickly, declaring, Jesus, I don't want to live another day without you. 
I pray that the person who knows you but needs a church home will say, God, I never want to live my life out from under your covering. So thank you, God, for doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. The people represent the church no matter where we are. So stay connected and reach others as we grow in Christ.